working the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Lewerke asks for it and now has it. Lewerke will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the referees. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders and the Spartans strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns. We got a full house this week, the All-American boy, Zach Serdnick, and my two favorite sports editorial assistants, and the only two sports editorial assistants, so I have to say two favorite by default, Aiden Champion and Brandon Shabath. Folks, how are we doing? You didn't have to mention that last part. That's okay. We're still your two <laughs> favorite sports editorial assistants. Well, I mean, I was my own favorite sports editorial assistant okay, before fair. I yeah, that's how advanced be. a little bit up the ladder, but <laughs> how are we doing, boys? Good. I mean, rainy day. Uh, kind of gloomy, but... Feels like nice. fall. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get up till one thirty. Like, this is one of the days when you just... You, you, you don't do anything. Like, you're that... either, like, on your couch... Watching SpongeBob reruns, or you're sleeping in till two thirty, or you're contemplating your place in the universe. Yeah, so I was planning on kind of sleeping in. I have right now. I needed to fill an extra credit for an elective, so I have a one credit golf class right now in the mornings. Well, it got canceled this morning, and I kind of expected it to get canceled. But he sent the email at nine thirty. I was hoping he was going to send it like nine. Because he sent it right as I was about to be walking out the door because it's a 10 o'clock class. And so I was already awake. I was already ready. And I couldn't go back right. to sleep. And I was yeah, like, 9:30 dude. 9.30 is way too late I was that. like, dude, you could have just sent the email like an hour before that. And then I could have just hit snooze on my alarm and went back to sleep. And I would have been chilling. Instead, I was awake and just had to resort to playing 2K. You well, poor, poor resort. human you. I feel so bad for you. Yeah, I know. I don't. I'm jealous you're in that golf class, though. I tried to get into it, but I was late signing up for classes. So next uh, next fall, I'm in it's it. It's actually, it's pretty nice, honestly. Yeah. yeah. There, I also saw there's a golf, business of golf and golf architecture class. Huh. I would love to take that. Holy crap. That was fun. No further context. Have a nice day. Have a nice <laughs> weekend on SRZ. But in all seriousness, Aiden, Zach, and I had a phenomenal time down in Miami. There was a quote when we were in our press box, when we were on the way to the stadium, that I kept reciting. And it was from some Russian czar or prince or some embassy in 987. And it was these, I think they were Russian missionaries out in the Middle East going to Constantinople. And they saw the Hagia Sophia, which at the time was one of the most beautiful churches in all of Christendom and now is still a modern marvel as a mosque. And the exact quote is, they wept for they knew not whether they were on heaven or on earth. Like it, the, the immediate thing I got, because there's like the four little spires of Hard Rock Stadium. Like, I immediately went, oh, maybe that's what it meant, because you think of, like, Russia and Moscow and, like, the little towers and and everything, but it was... I kept reciting that, and I think I pissed Zach off, because I probably said that eight or nine times. <laughs> it was it was funny the first few times, and then it got, like, just again, and then it was, like, I don't even know, but it just wasn't as funny anymore. Yeah, I, I have that effect on people. But at the end of the day... We had our own very little press box. Miami Athletics was extremely courteous to us, obviously, not even allowing us to co- just allowing us to come down there, but giving us our own little box, walking us to our seats, all the little things. So big props to them for making our trip extremely enjoyable. 
What I love doing in the intro segment is I just go from like one spot to another and just bounce around in random circles with absolutely no correlation. I'm not going to recite verbatim what I put <laughs> because it's more of a PG 13 R line, but can we stop jumping on the Blake Cora, Michigan hype train? This is an every year thing. You've been at home every game. You've beaten one FBS power five team that lost to Montana. I mean, enough. This is why half of Michigan wouldn't mind if your city became the next Atlantis in Lake St. Clair. Like, just stop. Oh, my God. I am so sick and tired of hearing about Blake Corum. Blake Corum is six foot five as all the girls and is the second coming of Christ Almighty. No, he's not. Like, I, you beat Northern Illinois 63 to 10. Who cares? Crap happens every year, and it makes me a very angry human, guys. It makes me very, very angry. Yeah, I think for Michigan, I want to see them go to Wisconsin in a couple weeks. They've got Rutgers this weekend. A little bit more of a test, but I'm still not sold on Rutgers. But if they go down to Wisconsin and win that game, then I think you can start talking about them as a contender. I least. do, too. I do, too. That's fair. Love me some Cuban guys' midnight oh. sandwiches. No further context. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. This place is so good. It was, it's like, I guess, a fast food. I don't know if it's a fast food restaurant down in southern Florida. I think it is. Because they had, like, the little radio promo and everything over mm -hmm. their speakers, which makes me think that it was probably a little bit more commercialized because you normally wouldn't have, like, a mom and pop, just one, like, hole-in-the-wall restaurant having sort of that radio promo. But I got this thing called the Midnight Sandwich, and it was the best, like, pickles I'd never had before, sweet mustard, some good ham, and they give you, like, this giant little side platter with chicken and and. and black beans and what are those like little grilled uh bananas called oh god what are they called like i would see it if i know it it's i think it starts with like a p or a plantain? b or something like that were there plantains right? yes that's what i was thinking of oh but no those were i wish we had those up here i told zach when we were down there let's take tim hortons put it in miami and take cuban guys and put it up here i mean i feel like they might have tim hortons in miami i could be wrong but like i, I don't think tim they have hortons tim hortons, hortons outside there. of michigan like, I think it's just a Michigan institution. But really? I don't think, they're. if anything, they're not going to go further south than Ohio. Like, they are very, I, know, I remember driving through, like, West Virginia and Ohio as a kid, and they just were not there at all. Ohio State doesn't look right. Let Tulsa's quarterback, Davis Brin, go for 428 yards. Tulsa's apparently number one wideout, Josh Johnson, has eight catches for 149 yards. Starting to wonder if the Big Ten East is wide open, guys. I'm really starting to wonder because the last two weeks, the last two weeks, they haven't looked right. Like Ohio State and Notre Dame right now look like they're just sleepwalking through every single game. I think it's interesting and almost uh, hurtful for, like you mentioned, the Big Ten East just being wide open because I don't know if Iowa and Penn State and certainly not Wisconsin who already lost – uh, can hang on long enough this season to potentially secure a spot in the college football playoff. And also it looks like Notre Dame is going to lose their spot this year. I mean, they're still unbeaten, but I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But like I mentioned on Green and White Report last week, by the slimmest of chances, could we see the Green and White football team make it in there again no. for the second time. I still think it's way too early. No. 
Next question. That, <laughs> I think that um, I think that there's a chance that the Big Ten can get somebody else in, and I think that part of the reasoning is that pretty much everybody. No. Seems next mortal. question. Well, right. Like Iowa looks like the only real viable option. I just think. But is the West good enough for them to to go undefeated and still get that spot? I just think that everybody seems mortal right now. Yeah. Alabama barely squeaked by Florida, basically because Florida missed an extra point. Um, Clemson doesn't look good. Georgia looks really strong defensively, but if they come into a super strong offensive team, I'm still not sold on their offense yet. Like nobody looks unbeatable no like we've seen in the past which means that i'm expecting a lot of teams to lose not too many unbeatens and i think this might be the year where you see the committee really have to debate between an undefeated byu and undefeated cincinnati and a one or two loss major conference champion how in the world is Tim Hortons located in 14 different countries? I was going to say, there is a Tim Hortons in Miami. There is? I looked it up a minute ago, yes. <laughs> but this, but it's, it, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, but, oh, I guess there is. Well, what do I know? Going back to the Big Ten competition, I, I'm not making any quick judgments just yet. I really want to see uh, the heart of Big Ten play start to unfold. Because um, at this moment, I mean, a lot of teams look good, but I think we'll be uh, reevaluating in just two to three weeks. As do I. As do I. But again, when you have Nathan Stearns behind the host, Mike, you got to be ready for everything and absolutely anything. I can't recite word for word what I put in this little bullet point either, but I would like to give a special dishonorable salute to the people at the Nathan's Hot Dog Place and at the Subway at Miami International. So I've worked retail. I get how much people hate their job because I did that for four years. And I, when I was working at Home Depot as a lot of associates, I absolutely hated it. But when I'm at the Nathan's Hot Dog Counter, and so I get my hot dogs, you know, everything's nice and good. Wanted some chili fries because I love chili fries. But for those of you out there who don't know, a lot of chili has either whey protein or soy flour, stuff that yours truly cannot eat. And when he does eat it, he does not feel good for a very long time. I ask the waitress behind the counter maybe four times, literally this. Hi, ma'am. My name's Nathan. I don't, you know, don't get my actual name, but... I was just hoping to get some chili fries, but I know that some chili sometimes has soy or whey protein in it. Would you be able to tell me if if what ingredients your chili has? And if you don't know, that's fine. I won't get it. But I was just trying to inquire. What? I don't understand the question. What do you mean you don't understand the bloody question? Like, what... <laughs> You want me to spell it out for you? And then the, what was even worse was there was another lady who comes over. And she looked like she'd been working there a little longer. Oh, no, the chili's fine. Just has beans in it. No, no, it's fine. No, no soy, no milk. Oh, it had milk. I left living proof that it had milk in a certain bathroom in the Miami terminal. I mean, it had a lot of bloody milk. On that note. No, one yeah. more. One more. One more. Later. I'm still hungry because we had like a three-hour layover. We go to the subway um, in Miami, in, in, in the in the airport, actually not too far from the hot dogs place because we were Terminal H. I would like an oven roasted chicken sandwich. Do you want the meat toasted with the bread or do you want, and she asked this like three separate times. 
Like, oh, ju I just want the oven roasted chicken. And I've never had this issue at any other Subway. Like, they put the meat on the bread and then they toast the bread. That's kind of conventional wisdom. I'm standing there, and mind you, I'm on my phone. I'm watching Carolina beat up on New Orleans, keep pounding. We're back. Super Bowl, we're on 2021. But anyway, takes it out of the oven. It's shredded chicken. It's not what I, that's not what I ordered. That's the oven roasted chicken. That's not the oven roasted chicken. I don't even work here, and I know your menu items better than you do. Oh, you mean the little chicken breast? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have that. Goodbye. Get up and walk away. So that was, uh, Really nice if Miami International hired some better food workers. But other than that, in the that tiny was... Lansing airport, I am so sorry that we got there so early. <laughs> like, I, we got there at 3.30 in the morning, and I was fully expecting, let's put our bags down, let's get through security. Nobody even arrives there until 4.45 in the morning. Like, we're just sitting there in the terminal, and there's a guy asleep with, like, his like his feet, like, resting on top of his suitcase at the most uncomfortable, crunchy Auntie Anne's pretzel position I've ever seen in my life. But Bro, don't get me started on Auntie Anne's on that trip. I went to go get some Auntie Anne's at O'Hare and I walk up there and they only had like they were like, Oh, we only have a pretzel dog left. And I was like, Okay, are you guys gonna be getting anything more? And they were like, Uh no, I think we're gonna close up. I was like, Well, that sucks. Oh boo hoo. At least your gut didn't feel like someone took a flipping ice pick and just stab you with it. Fair point. I, I don't I don't have pity for oh I don't like it. it's thinner. I don't like that food. Well, guess what? I can't have eggs or milk or soy or nuts or whatever. You wouldn't know that by looking at me because I do eat quite well, but I'm a big old meat and potatoes boy. But move on to the main portion of our show. Is the main portion meat and potatoes? In a way, because that is a Moving phrase that Mel Tucker, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the king and captain of Coach Speak, says on a weekly basis and sometimes on a daily basis i'm sure it is on football team michigan state jumps out to a 3-0 lead they're now 5-0 all time when they score first go ahead 17-7 before pulling away in the fourth quarter and winning 38-17 peyton thorne unconscious for the second week in a row 18 for 31 261 yards for passing scores big 10 co-offensive player of the week his deep ball accuracy and his mobility guys i put look at them legs like this guy can move, and in all seriousness, that deep post that he had to Jalen Naylor was beautiful. That slant that he had Jaden Reed on where he has to fit it between the corner who's trailing and the safety who's coming over to help was amazing. That was the best quarterback performance I've seen since Ricky White and Rocky Lombardi last year beating Michigan. Completely agree, and I, I think Thorne has really – stepped into his role as the leader of this football team uh, far and above everyone else on the field and off the field. And the connection he has with Jaden Reed is like spanning all the way back to when they were in sixth grade is coming to fruition now in college. And I don't think there's a better thing you could ask for if you're Mel Tucker, that your best receiver and your best quarterback and leader are connecting the way they do. And he really – I think there were some doubters. Most people trusted Mel to make the right quarterback decision with Russo coming in uh, I did. from Temple. That's my fault. But. but Thorne has silenced the doubters for sure, and he's put Michigan State in a good spot to start this season. Well, the biggest thing for me, and we talked about this when we were down there, moment never looks like it's too big for him. You get behind, after going ahead 3 to nothing. you get behind 7-3, to three, you might start to press a little bit. You might start to see, you know what? Um, maybe we overestimated ourselves a little bit because you know what? 
That was the first time Michigan State was behind all season long. That was the first time that Michigan State didn't inflict the first major punch. Now you can cite Miami fumbling the ball and the 27-yard missed field goal and every single penalty known to mankind in every single form, but never looked anxious, never pressed, trusted the playbook, trusted the system. And I didn't put this on the dock, but I should have. How about the game Jay Johnson called? Like, last year I was pretty critical of the guy because I don't like the fourth and three, fourth and two, run it right up the gut when there's 10 guys in the box. Like, there's got to be some sort of variety. What he's managed to do with Connor Hayward is sort of this tunnel screen tight end guy. They killed Miami with the tunnel screen three or four different times. What he has managed to do with Trey Mosley, the contributions that he's getting and the adjustments from obviously running the ball later on in the second half, but I can guarantee you something else too. Not sure Dave Warner would have taken a shot deep in the fourth quarter when you're up by double digits and you hit Jalen Naylor to pretty much seal the game. That was beautiful. Like, there, when I leave a game and there's 15 or 20 different plays where I'm like, I had no idea that play was coming. That's how I know the OC did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I was going to go with this. My biggest takeaway from this game was the adjustment offensively. Because you look at this, Michigan State the first two weeks had gotten whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted it offensively. And it wasn't like that in the first half of this game against Miami. MSU only scored 10 points in the first half and really only scored three points before they really started to adjust. And they weren't getting a push on their offensive line. Miami's defensive line and their front seven was dominating that game. Thorne couldn't stay up, couldn't keep the pocket clean. And so Johnson adjusted, and they went to a lot of swing passes, a lot of quick screens and slants that was able to get the ball out quickly and get it to their playmakers in space, and that's what really impressed me from this one. I I will say my one critique of Jay Johnson in this game, how dare you not run the Philly special on the first play? There's no way he didn't listen to me on the Green and White Report last Sunday and hear me predict that. And he just, I think he did it to spite me. That's what it was. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was upset that I was wrong, but they still won, and that's they all that matters. They did bring out a Wildcat play in they, that game, though. Yeah, they did and, go and, and the, wild, the Wildcat play, I will say, we talked about this in our Impact group chat uh, live during the game. I hate the Wildcat. And growing up a Michigan fan, you're prone to hate the Wildcat <laughs> because they use it, and it's always a run up the middle, and Everybody in the stadium in the tri-state area sees it coming. And Michigan State, they set up in it. Walker was taking the snap, and I was like, oh, here we go. It's you know They need this first down. They're not going to get it. And it was just a beautifully executed and blocked play, and it worked out. They still ran it up the middle, though. Right, but <laughs> they ran it better, at least. Yeah, it, it, was, at least. It, it was It was a wildcat, but I think I, 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 should, I should say, too, a gap in the line that I didn't expect. Yeah, so. and, and Connor Hayward running right through it. Right. And that was... Really strong blocking there, too. Kenneth Walker, good segue into our... I know you guys didn't do that unintentionally. I know you guys did that for the sole aspect of segueing right, to our 100%. next yeah, talk point. Always. Kenneth Walker. Heis, I love the Heisman talk because even though right now it's a little premature, he is playing out of his bloody mind. Yeah. He's first in the country with 493 rushing yards, 27 carries, 172 yards against Miami specifically at a receiving score. Jalen Naylor, really the first time he's gotten off the mat, I guess you could say, 
this season. And what I mean by that is just the first time he's had a good game. He had two receptions for 20 yards against Northwestern and was a non-factor against Youngstown State because Jaden Reed went for bloody near 200 yards. How does this win change your expectation for the season? For me, six wins isn't good enough anymore. You're 3-0. and You have Nebraska and Western Kentucky at home who you should take care of. Rutgers hasn't really played anyone this year. Indiana looks really vulnerable. They're 1-2, and two, and there's a very real chance if they don't get off the mat, they will lose down in Western Kentucky. They're 1-3, and three, and their bull hopes are already floating by a thread. I see a path to 8 or 9 wins. Easily. I really do. But... Again, it's early, but you have to start talking. You're a quarter of the way through the season now. It's early, but it's not that early. I think after starting 3-0, and I went from expecting this to be a 4-5 to win season to a 4-loss season. And I don't think – like, I think 4 is a pretty good mark for them if they lose 4 games. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. The 4 I look at are Maryland, Indiana, Penn State, and Ohio State. But I wouldn't be surprised if they win one of those that they're not supposed to but also stumble against – a Nebraska or a Western Kentucky in a game that they should win. So right now they've they've pretty much played perfect so far through the first three games. I think we can can say they've played perfect, if not pretty darn close to it. But we all know that's not going to stay up. It's just a matter of how long they can ride this wave and how many wins they can get out of it. And I think one thing that's against their favor is this ranking now. I think 20 is a good spot for them after this win. But they have a really good chance to be 6-0, and 7-0 and over the next three or four games and get to that record. At that point, they're probably a top 12 pushing top 10 team in the country. And everybody, you know, most Michigan State fans, I think us in this room included, would be happy with that, that national media attention and Michigan State's back on the map. But that no longer leads to them being underdogs. And that's where I think Tucker um, – for one, and just Michigan State in general, really succeed and really excel is being the underdog and being counted out. And that's where they've succeed, excelled excuse me, in the first three games. So, you know, we'll see how high they can climb, but I think so far that they've started out in a good spot, but they've got to be careful moving forward. You know, Jim Harbaugh's 0-12 all-time is an underdog. He's been there for, what is it, his sixth year or seventh year, never won a game as an underdog. And Mel's already done it, God, how many times? Let me think. Michigan, what, four? I think, yeah, four I think times. four, yeah. Yeah, because Northwestern and Miami this year and Michigan. and Northwestern last year as yes. well. Yes, I think yes. the, the one thing with that is, though, I think if Tucker could do what Harbaugh has done at Michigan without the context of Harbaugh doing it at Michigan. Right. But if he goes in and wins eight to nine, sometimes ten games a year. Absolutely. Consistently, yes. Michigan State fans are happy with yes. that. Yes. Michigan fans are calling for Harbaugh's job. So... We'll have to see what it turns out with, but it's been a good start for Tucker. It And the other thing that I've loved, absolutely have loved, is that that running back rotation is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Week one, you saw Kenneth Walker. You saw Jordan Simmons. You saw Harold Joyner. Now it's Kenneth Walker and very, very seldom Jordan Simmons. This is your man. Now if you could just decide to, to shorten up the offensive line rotation a little bit, that would be great. And that could be started off, of course, by benching Matt Allen, who had a 22 pass blocking grade against PFF. That is atrocious doesn't begin to describe how bad that is. And Nick Samick was like 63 or 64. 
I like Nick Samak, and I've always liked Nick Samak a little bit better just because I think he gets off the ball a little bit better. I think his pad level's better. I think his hand placement's a little bit better. I think his drive blocking's a little bit better. I think his his snap, the velocity, the way in which they teach you to snap when you're dead ball, snapping the ball. Allen almost kind of just wafts it back to the quarterback like a lollipop, but... I think I'm going to replace my hatred of Matt Carrick with my hatred of Matt Allen because I put Carrick UOK in my book because he's been a lot better. Miracles. Like, he has been much, much better. I'm a big enough man to admit when I've been wrong, and he Miracles has played do much, much world. better the last three games, and he's given them solid, solid minutes at that right guard position. And in, in, in good, in important time, too, he's not playing in garbage time. He's playing in valuable game time. Derek King, Miami's quarterback, gets abused. I, he's not playing this week against Central Connecticut State, is it? I think Manny he's, Diaz came out earlier today and said he's done. Well, yeah, he's doubtful for not. that game um, with a shoulder injury. Diaz said that he will never count out King, but that they are preparing their other guys to be playing. And he took a beating. He did. And they said he was getting a second opinion on that shoulder. And Quavaris Crouch hit him pretty hard. And I'm sure we'll touch on that going into Miami or into the Nebraska preview, but he took some hits from those Spartan linebackers. Well, you're going to do that when you're rolling out to the right 85 times a game. Right. It's Miami's offensive play, but there was no... You weren't going to have Cameron Harris running between the guards and the tackles. It, teams don't succeed against Michigan State just trying to run inside zone, inside every time, sort of running this power gap scheme rushing attack. It's not going to work. By the way, did you guys see what Manny Diaz said? I think it was yesterday. Oh, MSU didn't beat us on... They beat us on the perimeter, not inside. Well, they beat you on the perimeter because every time you tried to rush it inside, you were gaining piddly crap. Like, how hard is it to say, Mel outcoached us, we gotta get better. Like, stop making excuses for losing. You were outcoached and outplayed in fundamentally every area of the game. I hate when coaches do that. Agreed, but I think he was talking about his defensive line and in that respect, he does have a point if he was talking about his defensive line because Michigan State didn't get a push. They didn't get anything in the middle. Yeah. He got, which even more shows that he got outcoached because they made adjustments and they did beat them on the outside. And Kenneth Walker is a breaking tackle machine. Right. And I went back and rewatched that game. There's a lot of talk about Miami missing all those tackles. Some of them were missed tackles. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that the play with Mosley that... Uh, they slowed down the and swing the pass safety. that went for 51 yards yeah, and then the, the horse collar ran yeah. right at him and then just decided he was going to turn away and go to the blocker like that doesn't make any sense but there were other plays with Walker where he is breaking those tackles and there's not much you can do about that he sets up his moves so well yeah I think Diaz was right in the re- in the regard that in the first half it really didn't look like on either side of the ball Michigan State's line was doing anything relatively productive. And that's huge props to Walker for the game that he had with that offensive line really struggling in the first half. I think they both made adjustments at halftime and got better pushes in the second half. But Diaz, is he's in a weird spot right now. He's a guy clinging to whatever threads he has left at that administration, I think. I think he's really, especially after this loss and being close with Appalachian State and getting blown out by Alabama and not even really competing, he's really on the brink of losing his job. I think football country down there is really upset with him. I think the fans are kind of clamoring for him to get out of there. So I think he's in a, in a tough spot and is trying to find positives that came from that loss. But 
there's not too many when, you know, Miami played a fairly good game. They played fairly well, again, especially in that first half. But that's a game you got to win at home. And I told you this last week on SRZ. This Miami team reminded me a lot more of that six and seventeen, that six and seven team in nineteen that was losing to FIU and Duke than the seven and two ACC team a year ago. The team that went eight and three, the team that went to the Cheese It Bowl before losing to Oklahoma State thirty seven to thirty four. I just I don't know where you go from here, and obviously, frankly, I don't think a lot of us really care, but that's two games now where you've had a chance in a primetime environment. Actually, three if you count App State, because they were on ESPNU for App State, weren't they? They're on some one of the ES. They're on one of the bigger networks. I don't know which one it was. It might have not been one of the ESPN affiliates, but they were on one of the bigger ones, and they didn't look good against App State at all either. That's three games in a row where you've been on primetime, and it just looks like you didn't get off the man, where it looks like you just rolled out of bed, you put on your shoulder pads, and were expecting to win. But the one guy who that sentiment doesn't apply to is Charleston Rambo. That bloody curl route where you're running, where you're faking the goal route, and then you stop. You It's almost like a, they call it a hitch route, too, where then you come back to the ball and you just kind of sit there. That is the beater for a soft zone that Kalon Gervin is playing when you're in off-man coverage and you're giving them a 10- to 15-yard window. And he ran the same play three times in a row, and it killed Gervin every time. That's what Zach said, and he was right. Like, okay, after the third time of throwing the exact same ball to the exact same guy on the exact same side of the field, maybe we should do something else. Like, I know you probably don't want to play press. You don't want to play man coverage with a single high safety because then you're going to get burned over the top, but the bend-but-don't-break defensive strategy worked in this game. Because with the the defensive scheme Hazleton's running, you're banking on the fact that, okay, you know, we'll give up 40, 50 yards. But it's going to be that last 25 yards when there's going to be a stupid penalty or a turnover or some sort of personnel miscue that's going to force us out of field goal range. You're banking on Miami blowing themselves up, and that's exactly what they did. But holy crap, Charleston Rambo had a game. 12 catches, 156 yards, the Oklahoma transfer. Kalon Gervin got burned. Yeah, so for that thing, for me, it wasn't even that he was giving up the pass. It was that Rambo got them with the same move every time. And so he would catch it coming back towards the ball, towards the line of scrimmage, and then he'd turn and he'd give one little in-and-out move and was able to get on the inside because the defender was trying to force him out. And every time that he did that, Rambo got an extra 20 yards. And that's what you can't have in that type of defense. Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right with the fact that, you know, Stearns, you hit on it, the bend but don't break. I think what Michigan was deathly or Michigan State was deathly afraid of in this game was giving up the big play, the deep ball to let, you know, let the crowd get into it, let Miami get into it, let the touchdown rings come out and all that stuff. Now Rambo still made an appearance with them, but we saw what promptly happened a couple plays later after that. But yeah, I think I think that was all a part of the game plan and I think Gervin may have just been a little too scared to commit to stopping that curl. Um, but yeah, Zach, I think you're exactly right. I don't mind giving up the curl. It's the yards after where, you know, if, if that's the game plan, you, you you give them those free 10 yards and hunker down in the red zone, that's fine. But you can't give up yards after the catch. And part of that is sort of a schematic zone thing when you're running that cover two soft zone scheme. 
He's being instructed by Hazel to keep everything in front of you. Like, you have to be content with the fact there's going to be quite a few first downs given. You're not playing more aggressive coverage where it's like, I'm going to be more physical than you at the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to try to make sure that you don't blow me over the top. But at, at the end of the day, it worked. And that's, why I guess, why I don't get paid to make those decisions. And it's worked through three games. And the only other thing that's bothered me a little bit can we stop talking about how good and how improved this Michigan State offensive line is? Like, better, but a, a, a turd that a cow just laid on the ground. What's slightly better than a turd on the ground? A turd in a trash can? Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not... You're talking about a, a, a unit that's been so atrociously bad for such a long time playing a little bit better. If you look at Kenneth Walker's rushing yards after contact, it's insane. He is never rushing off his initial read, his initial cut. He's having to bounce every single thing to the outside, and he's had to do that for three games. Youngstown State, they had some success at times running in between the tackle, but Peyton Thorne was still getting hit pretty bloody hard those first two, three drives of the first half. Kenneth Walker's only succeeding because it takes four guys to bring him down every single time. Like, if your offensive line is truly good, you run through the A-B gap every time, and you're blowing guys off the ball. Chris Kaplovich, Michigan State's offensive line coach, earlier today at the media availability session said, Kenneth Walker's an eraser. Basically meaning any blocking miscue that we have where we don't block up to the second level, where we don't properly twist our hips and we don't seal off a gap or seal off an edge or set the edge, he makes it right. He makes us look good, and he frankly makes us better than what we really are. I still have a lot of questions about this Michigan State offensive line. And when you don't trust five guys, so you're playing nine or ten, it's a little bit of a concern because it basically shows me that those five starters, AGR Curie at right tackle, Jarvis at right guard, Matt Allen at center, J.D. Duplain at left guard, and Jarrett Horst at left tackle, you don't have enough confidence in that starting five because if you did, you wouldn't be pulling them out every other drive. I don't know. I still think the praise is mostly deserved. I mean, aside from that first half, Pass protection's been pretty solid. Um, yeah, because you're all they did against Northwestern was run the ball, and then you went up against Youngstown State. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they kept Thorn upright for most of the second half, though, and uh, and that that's when they, you know, really broke away, and that was when they really needed to show up. So, and and I think that's just going to happen, not just with the O line, but with any aspect of this team. I mean, I think. You know, Tucker is a defensive coach. You just look at his resume. I think our secondary, you know, I think Michigan State, you know, OSU is dubbed um, DBU. I think Michigan State has a chance to be dubbed LBU in a couple of years. I think our secondary is going to get a lot better in the future, and I think they're going to start praising the secondary because they're pretty bad right now. And, and, you know, I think they won't be the best in the country maybe in a year or two, but they'll be significantly better. And I think that's just going to happen with this team overall after – really bad season last year um, with, with you know, two big wins but a couple disappointing losses. Obviously, the end of the D'Antonio era was pretty brutal to watch. M- improvements need to be noticed and need to be praised, and I think that's just natural when it comes to it. I, I understand what you're saying, Stearns, and the fact that, you know, they're better and there's still a lot of room for improvement, and I promise you nobody knows that more than Mel Tucker. And I think nobody's working on it harder than Mel Tucker, and those guys – on that line of scrimmage. So we'll see how they do once we really get into the thick of Big Ten play. 
Um, I don't think Nebraska is going to be too big of a challenge for that offensive line, but you know they're going to be bigger than guys like Youngstown and Northwestern. So we'll see if if this can be, you know, if they can. They were tested against Miami. We'll see if they can do it again against Nebraska. Ran for 172 yards against Miami. 114 of those yards come after contact and forced 20 missed tackles. That's the bottom line for me. It's Kenneth Walker just. You can have a defective scheme, as much as I hate saying it. Carolina had this for a long time, and then you have a guy like Cam Newton that sort of writes all your wrongs, where you have a really good player, and you see this all the time, especially in college and the NFL, where you have one really good player, and people way oversell the coach, way oversell the coach's abilities, way oversell their play-calling ability, their in-game management style, their in-game adjustment style, but I don't have a whole heck of a lot of complaints, and I don't know how you could. You're 3-0. You're 3-0, and and you have two games upcoming that you should win, and frankly, you should win rather, rather. Do you guys think Nebraska is going to be a big deal? Like, I I think it has a chance. We'll get into it a little bit later, but I do think it it could be a tougher game. They look a lot better than I thought they would. Going down to Norman, the line was 22, and I thought they were going to get run off the mat, and they take Spencer Rattler, the probable Heisman Trophy winner, the number three team in the country, down into the fourth quarter and lose 23-16. to 16. They beat Buffalo, who's one of the better mid-major schools in all of the country, and then obviously they destroy Fordham. But the last three weeks looked a lot better than the first week, and they lost to Illinois. Yeah, I think you're definitely right, and I think this game has a chance to not only be affected by the play on field. You know, there's a, it's been rainy here in East Lansing the past week. There's a chance that rain stays up until Saturday. Um, it's a night game. The high that day is 70. I think the low is 58. It could be cold and windy. You know, there's other factors that are going to come into play. I think this has I think this has all the makings and all the ingredients of an ugly Big Ten football game. I think there's a chance it's 10 to 7 in the fourth quarter and these teams are battling it out for field position to kick a game-winning field goal. I really think that's that's a big possibility with these two teams. It's a chance for Michigan State to come off that Miami game a little sleepy, a little hot, and and not quite be ready for Nebraska. I don't think that's something Mel Tucker really does. I think he's all business, and I think he's really good at um, getting his team to to keep the mentality that they need to win. But I think it's going to be an ugly game. With that, we will move into a little bit of Big Ten talk before we get into our main Nebraska preview. For those of you who don't know, Ohio State beats Tulsa in an ugly mess of a game, 41-20. to Rutgers beats Delaware, 45-13. to Notre Dame squashes Purdue, 27-13. to Iowa kills Kent State, 30-7. to A bunch of just really lousy games last week. Duke beats Northwestern, 30-23. to One of the better games, Penn State knocks off Auburn, 28-20. to Does James Franklin have a shinier head than Mel Tucker? I always find myself contemplating this, and I think those guys have the two shiniest heads in the Big Ten. I think think Franklin's got him beat. I was going to say, like, when you can see your reflection in the back of a guy, when you see your own reflection in the back of a guy's head, you know he has a shiny head. Like, my history teacher in eighth grade, who also happened to be our assistant D-line coach at the varsity level, he used to get mad at me all the time. He was an ex-Marine, and I used to always call him Chrome Dome. And... Like, his name was Al Leslie, wonderful guy, and, like, his hair would thin, and I would call him Chrome Dome all the time, and the good thing was he would laugh for three seconds. The bad thing was I would have to run into I puke shortly thereafter, well, but it was worth it. Well, Keegan-Michael Key himself has a pretty shiny bald head, and he just did a, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it, an impersonation of James Franklin to the Penn State football team, 
in their film room, and they loved it. It was it was pretty spot on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Moving through the ledger games from last week, Oklahoma squeaks by Nebraska 23-16, to as we just touched on. Indiana loses to Cincy at home 38-24. to the fighting PJ Flex kill Colorado thirty to nothing. Maryland Maryland beats Illinois twenty to seventeen in the crap bowl. That was an ug- and we didn't even see more than the first half because we fell asleep. But Maryland home and Maryland away. I know this is a sports cliche, but especially for the Terps, when they're away, they don't look any better than the two or three wins that they seem to get every year before the younger tongue of Iloa obviously came to Maryland, but. My favorite part of the show, every week, the SRZ, Brett Bielema, Offensive Player of the Week, Nathan Stearns, I picked Nathan Stearns. Snaps. I don't think anybody has ever picked themselves for this segment, and I will tell you why. Offensive can mean more than one thing. I'm taking offensive to mean something ill-advised, something annoying, something infuriating, and something stupid. Me getting to the Lansing airport and thinking that we needed to get to the Lansing airport at 3.30 in the morning might have been one of the dumber things that I've ever done. When you are getting to the airport and there's absolutely zero TSA people, zero bag checkers, zero baggage claim people, and nobody else is there except for another guy who, as I said, was contorted in a way that I only wish I knew in a way that I wish I had that much flexibility, you probably got there a little bit early. And for those of you who don't know, Lansing is the smallest airport in history. The fact that they call it Capital Region International Airport, (laughs) using the term international airport is maybe one of the most gross overrepresentations I've ever seen because it's literally like one floor and then another floor. Like I got bored. So like, I just started like running laps between one end of the terminal and the other, and they can confirm this because I was, I was sleepy and I was also hopped up on more Dr. Pepper than I have been in a very long time. But yep. My Brett Bielema offensive player of the week is myself. So if you guys have been listening to this, you know I sometimes am serious with these and sometimes very not. This one's going to be, well, I'll leave you to decide that. The Offensive Player of the Week is Presbyterian's football team. They never punt. Well, they punted this week, and they lost 72-0. to zero. Wow. They've been pounding they people. Punted. Yeah, they've been pounding people, and they played Campbell this week and put up a very, very well, I thought, fat zero. I thought you were going to say they played like... Alabama or something like they no. they finally played a big school and, no. and then they, no, punted. they played Campbell and lost 72 to zero That's a but shame. they had been averaging like 70 points a game and never punting and they I uh, guess it worked yeah did not work this week well as the guest here I'm going to select my first ever Brett Bielema offensive player of the week as the SEC refs in the Penn State Auburn game <laughs> I don't know if you guys ended up seeing this I don't remember the exact circumstances but it was something with a, a penalty and loss of down when Penn State had the ball and the oh, refs yeah they just miss, didn't notice it the refs miscounted so I think it was second down and there was so I don't remember what the penalty was an offensive penalty on Penn State that resulted in a loss of down and instead of going to third down the chains went to fourth and Penn State punted the ball away yeah. and they, they just lost a down and so uh, there was another slip up by the SEC refs, I think, in a game I was watching later this week. But um, 
yeah, let, let, let's not bring them to Big Ten country next time because apparently they forgot how to count down south. Did they review that at all, or was it just no? Like, it, it, it immediately it. it immediately hit like national media outlets. Yeah. I got an ESPN alert about it, probably, and it was all over Twitter within minutes of it happening. Everybody noticed it right away, I guess, except the Penn State sideline and and the refs themselves. I mean, I, I didn't I wasn't watching the game when it happened, so I don't know if Franklin was clamoring for it and they just didn't want to hear it from him. But yeah, they they wholeheartedly lost a third down opportunity. Luckily, they ended up winning the game, but. Uh, on a more serious note, my offensive player of the week is Sam Howell. Uh, this guy just showed out this weekend. He had 352 passing yards, three touchdowns, and uh, 21 completions for uh, 29 attempts. I mean, he's in the Heisman watch, and I don't know. I I think uh, he's got a lot more to give this season. What? <laughs> Did you, have you looked out in the meeting deck at all? Have you looked out at the meeting deck? Do you want to look down at the meeting do you deck? Go off on... Yeah, no, no, don't recite it word for word because <laughs> I don't want to get violations. reprimanded. Yeah, FCC safe harbor the whole nine yards. No, that's good. It's just it's funny because like he will go. He goes through these phases where like sometimes he's a little bit more talkative, and then other times he just sits there as like a stoic Buddha hermit type, and then you don't hear anything from him for like. 30 or 40 minutes. Like, I honestly forgot he was here. Bro, like, I, I, I don't do him like that. Right. Because well, you keep cutting me off before I start talking. I was going to call you. Oh, that, 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 that's how you justify it. That's your <laughs> rationale. You Whatever you need to sleep. I can't find what you're talking about here on the dock. Give yeah. me a hint. Nah, nah, nah I'd I, I prefer not to. I, I, I'd prefer I not to. We move on to the SRZ Davis Mills Defensive Player of the Week. Davis Mills, the quarterback, starting for the Houston Texans tomorrow night as they take on my Carolina Panthers. Carolina with a chance to improve to 3-0 on the season. I went with Drew Beasley, and I'll tell you why. I know that's sort of a hometown pick. I know that's sort of a pick that is easy to come by, but I will tell you this. When... Miami scores that touchdown when MSU then proceeds to go three and out, pump the ball back, and then Miami gets the ball. Granted, Miami's deep in their own territory. But Zach and I looked at each other. This was right after the the Charles Brantley targeting penalty, and are like, this might be where things are changing. This might be where Michigan State, they played well up to this point, but where the better team, the more conditioned team, the team that frankly has a better quarterback and has more athletes and who's been in this spot a little bit more and who has more of an established program, shows it. And Drew Beasley goes off the left side of that Miami offensive line Absolutely Dexter Eric King forces the strip shit the strip sack. Jacob Panashuk recovers it. MSU gets the ball back at the Miami 13 yard line. And then on third and ten, Peyton Thorne throws the slant to Jaden Reed for the touchdown. That was a senior graduate student play. Like this guy's story is just so I don't know whether you want to call it heartwarming. He was a walk-on out of high school out of Warren. And he's gone from that to one of maybe the 10 or 15 best defensive ends in all of the conference. He's not an overly, like, physical specimen. If you know what I mean, he's not like Michael Fletcher who just gets off the bus and you're like, holy crap. He's not a 6'5 guy with a wingspan like a pterodactyl. But 
it was the guys for Michigan State who needed to make plays that did. And we talked to Drew Beasley. We got some really good interview clips with him when we were down in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Day. He talked about how we want to contend for a Big Ten championship. Our goal is that from when we talked to him in July is that six months from now, obviously going back to July, we're going to be in the same spot battling for a Big Ten championship. And he has taken it upon himself through the first three weeks with the pressure he's gotten with just the overwhelming sense of leadership. He's becoming a more vocal leader. And when somebody needed to make a play, because you can feel the momentum shifting in your gut. Like if you know anything about sports, you can tell when the pendulum is starting to go in the other direction. And he unilaterally took the pendulum, ripped it off its handles and spun it back toward the direction of the Spartans. And it was a beautiful sight. Woo football. <laughs> All right. So my pick is another um, another one with some sarcasm today. I don't know what it is, but we're loving it. The Miami safety that attempted to, I guess, attempted to tackle Trey Mosley um, <laughs> on that screen pass. If you haven't seen the video, uh, wait till you hear my uh, powerhouse frame or unit of the week coming up next. And then go look this guy up and find this video because it's absolutely hilarious. But yeah, just goes right at Trey Mosley. And then as Trey Mosley is about to hit him. He goes right into the Michigan State blocker that's on the side of him. So he turns away from Mosley right into the blocker. Yeah, it was a real uh, real football play there. Um, I am also picking a safety from the same game, not on the same team. Now I'm sure you can all guess who that is. Uh, yeah, Xavier Henderson um, has been uh, tremendous so far this season. One of the best safeties, in my opinion, so far in college football, um, at least in the Big Ten. I think he's got a chance to really uh, – be the be one of the leaders on this secondary that is going to need a leader big time. So, um, yeah, I look for him to keep it up this season, get some more picks, and keep it going. I'm surprised you didn't pick Tate Haylock. That was the guy I was thinking of. Give, gave him some really good special teams minutes. <laughs> uh, my pick is Levante Bentley from Clemson. This guy had seven uh, solo tackles on Saturday and uh, three tackles for uh, a loss of nine yards and a sack to his total. Sounds like me when I used to play at Clemson and NCAA Football 12 on Xbox 360. The SRZ Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame slash Unit of the Week. I told you guys, listen, I'm not sure I've told him this. I never understood this. Joey Ellis was the All-American boy from Grand Rapids Catholic Central. He was the All-American boy before Zach Serdnick became the All-American boy of the station, but... They created this segment when they first started the podcast a couple of years back when Kyle Turk was on it and Joe Dandrin and McCray and all of these Impact guys. legends. Yes. And I never understood the Joey Ellis memorial part of it because Joey's not dead. At least I don't think <laughs> well, no, he is. But, it, but he's not an impactor, so he's... Uh, rest in peace to his impact status. I don't know. I don't get it either. I mean, I mean, love love those impact legends, but never the uh, the sharpest knives in the drawer when it came to to humor and stuff like that. No, I still no. think it's pretty funny. I guess, but I just think it's Joey stupid. is alive and well. <laughs> I'm gonna replay next year, Zach. You better replace Joey Ellis with Nathan Stearns. But right. my pick is my respect for Scott Frost, and I will say this: never been a guy I was high on. Did some good work at UCF, but he was an example of a guy who I think hit lightning in a bottle once or twice and then sort of the world goes on fire and everybody gets so excited you know when you look back to his 13-0 season 
in 2017 when he was at UCF and went, oh, everybody wants Bama. He had one good year. Like the year before UCF, he was six and seven. Nine and 18 since he got hired in 18, 14 and 22 overall record. The last three weeks, though, I salute him. Because after that Illinois game, I wasn't sure if when Nebraska came to Michigan State, he would still be the head coach. I thought there was a half-decent chance if he laid an absolute egg against Buffalo, he'd have been run out of town on a rail. But you took care of Fordham, which is what good teams do. Doesn't matter who you're playing. It doesn't matter what they do. It matters what you do. It matters that you can run your base stuff. You can execute at a really high intensity, a really high interval, and that you can continue to run your stuff and play well, and there's not a bit of a drop-off. They took good. They did very, very well against Fordham. And again, it's Fordham, but... You did what you needed to do. You did a good job against Buffalo. They killed Buffalo, actually, 28-3. Buffalo's offense did piddly crap that entire game. And then you go down to Norman, and you only lose by seven, and you make Spencer Rattler look human. The last three games, Nebraska's looked like a decent football team. Not great, but decent. They're not getting in dogfights with FCC, FCS schools. Like I don't. If Michigan State went down to Norman on Saturday, I don't think they're losing by seven. I think they're losing by twenty-one. That was an impressive game for me, and that changed my perception around Scott Frost for this season just a little bit. Because I thought after Fordham, after Buffalo, show me you playing a real team. Not that Buffalo is not a real team, but they're still Buffalo. They're still a MAC team. You're going to play a team that, barring something. Unforeseen is going to be competing in the college football national. It's going to be competing in the college football playoffs come January. Don't well, hit on don't hit on Buffalo too much. Shout out Jeremiah Riordan, Buffalo's long snapper, former U of D Jesuit Cub. Oh, we're you're, you're, we're gonna we're gonna go through. We're gonna. I got go one for Duke too, if you want it. Dorian Maussi, linebacker. Josh Jackson, Virginia Tech. Bryce Wolma. Where's he at? Uh, Arizona. Zach Drevna. Arizona. Is this now, Arizona. Arizona. It's a good football team. Celine versus U of D. Tyrone like, Miller, Kansas. I think so. Camp we can Cole, go all time. If Central we want. Michigan. I'll get the roster out. All right, let's uh, let's keep this moving. I'm no, not, uh, no. <laughs> I wanted to prove right. a next point. question. <laughs> yeah, next question. Um, I'm gonna go with the guy that makes those TikTok videos. Uh, I hope I didn't steal this from Champion because this was definitely Champion's guy. Like he showed it to us, and we loved it. Best account on TikTok. His name on Twitter is Mister Go Thirty. I don't know if that's, that's the same the same, TikTok same name on TikTok. Have you watched those? Shabazz? What What is the TikTok? Mister Go Thirty. But like, what what, what oh, are they? He makes like film, like coach film. Bro, videos. funniest dude on so TikTok. I saw the Miami one. That yeah, one's hilarious. We, so we had watched him the night before the Miami game. We were watching a couple of them. We were laughing to him in the hotel room. And then the next day, we're at the airport and we see the one from the Miami game, and we are just dying watching it. So that is my powerhouse of the week because just phenomenal. 10 out of 10 content, must watch. I literally will watch those videos like 10 times in a row and laugh just as hard every single time. Um, my powerhouse player of the week is Nathan Stearns for downing uh, 20 uh, chicken wings in about oh. five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the sauce? What's the choice? Honey the barbecue. sauce of choice? There, okay, quality. No, it was good. Quality. And then we had a... Decent bucket of fries, but I was very hungry. And anybody that knows me, when I get hungry, I have. Right. I can eat more than I eat. I was the kind of kid, like, I would be 16 or 17. I would go after football practice to Wendy's. Oh, sir, what would you like? Yeah, can I just get one thing of family nuggets? And Wendy's, and those are like 50 chicken nuggets. 
And then I would get that sometimes and get like a large chili on top of it. Like I, I just, my diet, I should be 400 pounds and you should be having to wheel me in through the door in a wheelbarrow. Well, thank God we don't have to. No. But, but speaking, speaking. I got my metabolism. I got the right. good Stearns metabolism. Go. Speaking of wings though, I guess I should have made a, my offensive player of the week a pizza house over here in East Lansing. We ordered, my girlfriend and I, we ordered carry out from pizza house, right? We ordered 16 wings. Eight buffalo, eight barbecue. I hate spicy stuff. I hate hot stuff. I can't do it. She likes buffalo. I get the barbecue. All 16 wings come mixed together in the same container. So buffalo sauce is all over my barbecue wings. I basically just had buffalo wings. So that's who I should have made my offensive player of the week. But for my... Uh, Joey Ellis, what's the what's the official name of it? Memorial Powerhouse Frame slash Unit of the Week. I don't know if you guys follow uh, SB Nation Secret Base on YouTube or Twitter at all. Um, if you don't, you absolutely have to. You three in this room, anybody here listening, go check out Secret Base on YouTube. They do phenomenal sports stuff. My roommates and I have been watching this. I think it's a six-hour, I think the Supercut Edition is a six-hour-long documentary on the History of the Atlanta Falcons. It's wonderfully done. One of the best people they have, though, is John Boyce, who has, without a doubt, the absolute 100% single greatest Twitter account in the history of the app. It's it's phenomenal. The driest, funniest humor you'll ever see. And uh, he, just, he just hit a great one today. This is a tweet from his account that says, I will never use an iPhone. Never have, never will, and no one can prove otherwise. On, on a tweet that came from his iPhone. That's supposed to be funny. Just okay. Here, you want you want you want the next one? For a while, I had this dumb idea for a cooking utility belt. While making dinner, I would always misplace my spice container, so I figured it'd be it'd be nice to be able to just have them all in your belt to grab when you needed. Obviously, this was a stupid idea. It was a waste of time. T H Y M E. Yeah. That's just stupid. That's a glorified dad jokes. God almighty. Just saw a guy on the street with a permanent tattoo on his arm. You see something new every day in this town. All right, you're cut off. This week in the Big Ten, we're going to move on to this week's games. Villanova at Penn State. Aiden. Wait, I I skipped over Aiden crap. Did I? No, he did his before mine. He did. did. Yeah. He did. I was going to say, yeah, this is what when he just sits he did, there. He did you he with the wings. Oh, yeah, he do you with the wings. You. He That's doesn't have bad. an imposing presence. He's just there. He's not like a loud John Belushi-ass hey. screamer like I am. Hey, but, but he gets stuff done. He does. He does. <laughs> He's the workhorse. He's the stuff old depend- is the wrong He's the old too. dependable station plow horse. Right. Sure. No, you need to get like that toot across your chest. Old old reliable like no like old reliable and just get that like plastered across his chest if he'll pay for it he'll get it maybe (laughs) we'll write it off on incidentals (laughs) this week in the big 10 villanova travels to penn state most of these games are just absolutely garbage colorado state goes to iowa Rutgers goes to 19 michigan nebraska obviously travels to michigan state akron travels to ohio state Bowling Green at Minnesota, Ohio at Northwestern, Illinois at Purdue in the Stink Bowl 3-0, Indiana at Western Kentucky, which isn't a bad game in the main P-State resistance. I think I did that right with my French accent. I am 124th French, but I... So I, I think 124th. Notre Dame travels to number percent. 18, Wisconsin. Boys, let's talk a little bit about Nebraska football, should we? Before we do that, the amount of times that I heard Mel Tucker use the term woodshed 
on Tuesday made my head hurt. And not only that, he proceeds to go into a history lesson about where the term woodshed comes from, and he traces it back to some old line coach that was here for two years in the late 90s named Pat Rule. Like, I had to look up this guy. Looks like an offensive line coach. Like, that's a guy I would have played for if I only was eight inches taller, one for my bum knee. But does it not make you want to run through a brick wall? Like, I'm yeah, so excited to be there too. on Saturday. Stripe the stadium, pack That's the woodshed. We're finally getting, like, a nickname for this place, the good old Spartan Stadium. I know the Trojans took the Coliseum, and rightfully so. They're, like, one of the best college football programs ever. But I wish we could have had that one. But, yeah, we finally have a nickname for this place. And I know, I guess, the the, the nickname Woodshed has been around for a while, and, like, plenty of MSU alums, now that it's getting attention on Twitter and in the media, are coming out saying, oh, we've been saying this for years and stuff, and we have a flag. But I don't know. It's It's something fun and new for us to call instead of just It'll, Spartan Stadium, which is so unbelievably generic. So I'm only referring it to it as the Woodshed two memorial right stadiums in the Big it'll Ten. Be, right. It'll be fun for us to be on the call for that one because I think it is going to be a nuts I hope it's awful weather. I hope it sucks. I hope it's rainy and windy and cold and we just have this brute force Big Ten football game. And we could just stay inside the closed window of, of the press box. <laughs> Here's my question for you guys, and I think this is something that a lot of media members are talking about, but it it it's worth repeating and it's worth asking about. How do you handle success? You've proven now that you can win. This isn't about playing two quarters of good football or competing or running your plays well or just proving that you're a Big Ten caliber team. You're ranked now. Expectations have gone up about 50 decibels. How do you handle that? And do you think that the aroma, the intoxication of everything, of having Caden Hauser and potential future MSU quarterback four-star out of St. John Bosco in California, in uh, Bellflower, California, I'm happy I remembered that, with Armani Winfield visiting, with the full stadium, with the stripe out, does that get to their heads, or do you think that they're going to go in there and take care of business as they've done the first three weeks of the year? So, I, it, oh, Go ahead. I just, I just want to say I have – a unique experience with uh, uh, the association I had to this football team being that my roommate is on the coach's video staff there. Um, and uh, he he tells me that Tucker is there just all about business. You know, they changed the theme song for um, the the walkout th- this year at, at, uh, at the Woodshed. And um, it's now Swag Surfing, which is light years better than Thunderstruck. But... The caveat is the players are not allowed to actually swag surf to swag surfing as they walk out because it's all business. Um, my, my roommate told me that in their office uh, in the Scandalaris Football Center, Tucker removed the couch uh, in, the, in the coach's video office because it was too comfortable and we're here to do business. We're not here to be comfortable. So I think obviously are they never going to slip up and, and maybe stumble after a big win or something like that in the future? That's probably not going to happen. But can they handle success well? I think so. And I, I think they're, that Tucker has the right mindset and has the right people around him to make sure that this team doesn't get ahead of themselves and and too hyped in their own mind, you know? I think what Tucker said on Tuesday, or I guess yesterday from when we're recording this, really stood out to me in that respect as somebody asked him, how they felt about being 3-0 and how do you address the team. He said, I walked in there and asked them how 3-9 and sounded. They said it didn't sound too good. So 
I'm curious to see because in the past under Tucker, they haven't had those successes. In ranked wins at Michigan State, he's got three. The first two were last season. They beat Michigan on the road, then went to Iowa City and lost 49-7. to Then they beat Northwestern, and then they lost 52-12 to to Ohio State. So how do you respond after that is something I'm definitely going to be keyed on this weekend. Yeah, and I think last year is a little bit of a, a caveat with just with the team he had in the COVID season. I do think you're right. I Agreed. Think, yeah. I think they didn't show up as much as we thought they would under a guy like Tucker who's all about business in those second games after the big wins. But I think this is the year for him to flip the script on that ideology. I feel like this Michigan State team really thrives with um, the fan atmosphere and with the hype. Um, you know, they fans have traveled well um, these past few weeks. And... I think that's a big advantage uh, for this program, and I just think they're going to use it to their advantage this weekend, um, despite however the weather turns out. And I I think they'll come prepared. I think Tucker will have them ready. I think you bring up a good point about the fans, too. Like, it seems like obviously all the fans this year, us included, are very excited for this football team. I think a lot of us have good expectations and aren't getting too ahead of ourselves and stuff like that, and and people are being realistic about this team. But I think that excitement has kind of seeped into the players, too, and and they're building this confidence, and they know they can get these big wins and get this job done, and they're just as excited to play as we are excited to watch them. And that's a really good, like you said, chemistry between the two uh, societies, I guess you could say. Nebraska comes into this game with a 2-2 and record. They're not a great football team. Let's call a spade a spade. Nebraska hasn't been a very good football team since they were back in the Big 8, winning national championships and Rose Bowls in the whole nine yards 25 years ago. But they're markedly improved from week one. As I've said, I'm not going to rehash what I've obviously gone into detail, but they don't look like the same team that just crapped their pants against Brett Bielema. The other factor that I don't think people are considering, don't think for a second that those players don't know that Scott Frost's ice right now is this thick. No pun intended. Don't think for a second that they don't know that if he has two or three bad weeks in a row, he's gone. You know, and they would never admit this in the media. They would all, you know, oh, we're confident in our coach and we're just concerned about playing our best football and going out and winning and yada, yada, yada. They know behind closed doors, I can guarantee you that his job security is not where it needs to be right now. It's like backing a bear into a corner. You back an angry boy, a bear into a corner, you're going to have somebody playing with house money that's going to have nothing to lose. So they're going all out every week because they know that if they don't, their beloved coach could very well be gone. But obviously, Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, who seems like he's been there since I was in diapers, has some skill. Kid has four rushing touchdowns, which is tied for third in the conference. Has a good connection with wide receiver Samori Torre and tight end Austin Allen. He's also the leading rusher, 65 for 99 with five scores through the air, one pick, and 1,017 passing yards. But when you consider the receiving core with Torre, Allen, Omar Manning, Xavier Betts, they got some guys. Like they they have four, five, six guys that have over 100 receiving yards on the season, and they can beat you in a variety of ways. But shutting down Nebraska is shutting down Adrian Martinez. You take him out of the game, you kind of just destroy their entire offense. Some people might think that's an, a gross over, oversimplification, but it's almost like Demetri Crenshaw from Youngstown State two weeks ago. He is that offense. 
Yeah, I think for me, the key to this game for Michigan State's going to be those linebackers. It's going to be Quavaris Crouch as that spy. That's This is the kind of thing they brought him in to do. He did a really, really good job of that against Miami, and I think he's going to have to do that again this time because De'Ara King is a much better passer, but Adrian Martinez might be the best runner of the three straight dual-threat quarterbacks that they faced. Yeah, but I think Michigan State does know how to handle a dual-threat quarterback pretty well, and I think, you know, as long as you just stop him from running— I don't like like Stearns. You mentioned that this Nebraska receiving core does have some guys that can beat you in a variety of ways, and I think you're right. But I think if you want to force any, because that's that's what it's all about is forcing your opponent to beat you. And if you want to force anybody on this Nebraska football team to beat you, it's going to be those receivers. You don't want Adrian Martinez to go out there, and you don't want to force him to beat you. You know, you want to shut him down, like you said. And I think if they can just stop him from running, and that defensive line can get a push, and those linebackers can flood the box flood the box and get in gaps and, and get some sacks, they'll really force Nebraska to have to throw the ball and make some plays, and then it's up to the secondary. And like we said, I think they've been lackluster and have room for improvement, but I think they're good enough to stop Nebraska and, and come away with a win. I just see this game being really ugly. This has just has all the makings of being an ugly football game. And frankly, it seems like when Michigan State plays Iowa, when Michigan State plays Northwestern sometimes, and when Michigan State plays Nebraska, it's always just like an ugly 1970s smash mouth, 20-17 to 17 sort of football game. This ain't going to be a rush to 40, folks. This is going to be a very... I don't know. I don't want to say hard football game. I, I think Nebraska is more confident than they've been in weeks past. You went down. There's no such thing as moral victories, but there kind of are. And you proved last week that when you play well and your defense plays well, you're going to be able to surprise some people. and You're going to be able to be in the same segment with the good teams. I think MSU wins this game, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in the pick on but I think it's going to be an ugly game. I'm thinking 21-13 to 13 in that rough territory just because I do think there's going to be a little bit of a hangover. It is inevitable. There's going to be one of these weeks where they have a big win and then they just kind of come out and wow, 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 the first half, they look completely different than they have the last six halves of football. Even under the good mark teams in 13, 14, and 15 when they were winning 10, 11, 12 games a year, you had one or two games like that a year where it just looked like the message didn't get through in practice and that everybody was discombobulated and that people had their priorities and their minds elsewhere. I think Nebraska is going to make this closer than people are anticipating. I just don't think they can go into the woodshed and do it for four quarters. It's a lot easier to contend with a team for a half, but having to do it for four quarters ain't easy. And I don't think they're going to be able to do that. Have you guys seen the Scott Frost funeral tweets by any way? Like, people were tweeting Mel Tucker when they were talking about the Stripe Stadium and saying, is there going to be a section devoted to wearing all black for when Scott Frost oh, loses yeah. his job in East Lansing? It is hilarious. I don't think he's going to lose his job in East Lansing, though. They've been playing too well. Even if yeah, not, un- not unless they get blown out like 63-6 or something. I don't even – even if they do, I don't think that – he's been – they've been playing well. And Michigan State's been playing well. It's not he's, like, I mean, he's their Harbaugh, so – you know, yeah. I, I think he just hasn't. I think he has less. I think he has less room. Yeah. I think he has less room for error. I think Harbaugh's got that job until he want. He doesn't want it anymore. But you know, that's kind of what Scott Frost is to Nebraska. And uh, yeah, he, he. I don't think he's going to be fired by the time he gets out of here, though. No, but he'll get one step closer. It'll be another nail. If they don't make a bowl game, I think he's gone. Probably <laughs> has to be. Has to be. I don't even know if six and six is going to be enough at this point to save his job, but. Let's get into the pick'em, shall we? I've been waiting for this we shall. moment. My 
through the whole podcast. Last week was a rough week for Aiden Champion and I. I'm now eight and seven on the season. Zach Serdnick's eleven and four. Aiden what is seven and eight. Hey, Picked slow, Alabama to cover surely, versus Florida. Man. Yep. Let Alabama blew up in my face. Did um, you pick picked... Florida? No. No, 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 no. But it was a giant spread. Oh. Yeah, we pick against the spread. Well, what was the spread? 14 and a half. Oh. I picked, was I had Indiana winning outright at home against Cincinnati. That blew up in my face. I think I was the only one that had. Did you have Cincy in that game, champion? Oh, yeah. I you think had he did, Cincy, yeah. but you had uh, Northern Illinois to cover. Yeah. Because that was where we were. Different. I would say I had Northern Illinois covering because it was a 28-point game, and I think that Rocky Lombardi has some sort of witchcraft powers, and that blew up in my face. So hopefully we'll have a week where it doesn't blow up in my face anymore. Starting off, Notre Dame travels to Camp Randall. Notre Dame currently six-and-a-half-point favorites. I'll start off, give me the Badgers. Give me the Badgers, give me the Badgers, give me the Badgers. Have I said give me the Badgers? Camp so. Randall is notoriously hard to play. Other than other than Iowa and other than the shoe and maybe the big house, it's just hard to win. And Notre Dame doesn't look right. They were kind of in an ugly grunt fest with Purdue before pulling away 27 to 13. But I think this is a hard, hard game for Notre Dame to win. So I got Wisco winning outright. Is that game? I think that game's in... Isn't that at Soldier Field? Or am I completely tripping? I I don't know. It just said at zero, Wisconsin. I, I don't clue. do the extensive research that you why would it no, be? Why would it, why would it be at Soldier? I think it's a neutral site game. For some for some odd reason. It says Notre yeah. Dame at Wisconsin officially. I don't know. Yeah, it's Chicago, but it's technically okay. at Wisconsin. So I wasn't horrible. I wasn't no, completely no, wrong. You're, I was more saying for me because I was looking at the weather because I think the weather is going to make a big impact in this game. But I'm going to take Notre Dame. Uh, Jack Cohen in his revenge game to Wisconsin after losing the job to Graham Mertz. Wisconsin hasn't looked that great offensively. Notre Dame has struggled, but Notre Dame is still undefeated, and they know they need this game. Give me the Fighting Irish. You're fired. Stearns. I've also got Notre Dame covering here. Um, yeah, because plus six and a half, too. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I like you said, Zach, they need this game, and they know that, and I think this will be a big statement one for them. I got another one for you. What? Scott Nelson, safety, Wisconsin, former U of D Jesuit Cub, <laughs> starting safety. Um, Scotty's going to have a big game. That's my guy. Love him. Um, he's going to have a big game. Give me the Badgers. Yes. We are united against the forces of evil. <laughs> Texas A&M takes on number 16, Arkansas A&M, on the road, but five-point favorites over the fighting Razorbacks. Throw it over to Zach Serdnick to start off. Um, I'm back and forth on this one. I'm going to take I'm gonna take Texas A&M. Arkansas is an upstart team. They've been better, but I'm going to take the Aggies in this one. I was going to say, is Arkansas f- good at football again? I didn't yeah, even, they're I wasn't number even 16. Attention. Well, yeah. They beat, uh, well, yeah, but they uh, beat the snot out of Texas a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. 40 to something, but uh, 40-21, I think. But yeah, give me... Give me Texas A&M. I, what has Arkansas done to be ranked? Like, why? why uh, Arkansas is, like, one of the three worst teams in the SEC every single year. You beat Rice. You blew out Texas. But Texas always is Texas. And you beat Georgia Southern. Now, this is one of those games where I think Texas Tech and Isaiah Spiller and Devonta Kane, that two-horse running attack, blows the snot off Arkansas. I got Tech, or A&M, excuse me, winning in a route. 
I'll take uh God, I want to take the hogs just because I love that that mascot and that logo and what what's their saying? Suey or something? Isn't that isn't that uh, You ever had a Arkansas? razorback run through your backyard? Those things are annoying. Like they make this really Have you? loud like <laughs> yes. Oh jeez. <laughs> no, they they used to they're I can only recall once or twice, but down in Charlotte, no, they run around a little bit. We were out toward the northeastern part of Charlotte, so we were a little bit away from the big, the, the bigger part of the city. And those things are loud. They they weren't horribly big. They're like tiny wild boars, but they're really, really destructive. They're kind of like a giant termite because they eat everything and make a giant mess. And I would have tried don't to tame up. it. It's either that or like my. <laughs> it's either like that or. When you're a 25 year old sitting at home watching Dragon Ball Z in your underwear on a Saturday Saturday night instead of working, like if a Razorback was a human, that's who it'd be. I mean, I, I imagine a pet Razorback. Everybody would be your friend because they'd have to be. It's a Razorback, but uh, <laughs> yeah, give me give me A and M in this one. I think I think Zach and Stern's already already touched on everything and all the reasons why A and M's coming away with this one. Put Texas A and M down for me as well. Hopefully, we all are right. Rutgers, 19-point underdogs traveling to the stink house to face off against Michigan. Aiden Champion, take it away. Oh, uh, <laughs> I knew he would do that. Um, I got Michigan covering. I think they're going to absolutely whoop them. Short, crisp, and to the point, just how we like it. Concise journalism gold. Oh, one of you guys want to go? Is it, is it or me I'll, I'll go? No, it. I'll go. I right. I like Rutgers to cover, not to win this game outright. I can't ever pick it against Captain Khakis and the Forces of Evil, but I don't know. Rutgers hasn't played anyone, but neither has Michigan. Like, Rutgers made Temple cry themselves to sleep that Saturday night. You beat Syracuse by 10, and you spanked Delaware. They did go into the Carrier Dome and beat Syracuse, so that, that's pro- that's the most impressive win either one of these teams has had. It's a bit too big of a line for me. I think Shiana's going to have the boys ready to play. I don't think they win, but I do think they cover. Uh, Rutgers last season, mind you, was on the road, but they had everything. They had it right in their grasp. I don't know if you guys remember that. I think Michigan won that game in overtime. Firmly grasp it in your hands. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it was it was real close. Michigan came away in overtime. I think Rutgers has the recipe. Uh, but that's also a different Michigan team back then who threw the ball a lot more than they do now. Um, I think Michigan wins, obviously. I In Piscataway, I would say Rutgers Firmly covers. Firmly grasp it in your hands. <laughs> but I think on, I think on the road, yeah, I think I think Michigan covers here. Well, they're too one-dimensional for me. Like this is the other thing I didn't think of. What Blake Corum? Blake Corum. But Ooh, it's eight, third and eight. Blake Corum. Ooh, it's second and fifteen. Blake Corum. Ooh, maybe it's going to Blake Corum. But eight of their eight. like even still eight of nine touchdowns in a Division One college football game are running. That's that's well, pretty damn impressive. My thing is, is that yes, they're one-dimensional. What can Rutgers not do right now? Stop the run. When you're giving up nine yards a carry to Delaware on the ground. Just put eight guys in the box. Yeah, but my I think that I could very easily see Rutgers covering in this game. I could see Rutgers pulling this game out because I really do think Greg Schiano is a really good coach. But I'm picking Michigan to win and to cover at home because I think this Michigan team is hungry and they want to make a statement. Yeah, I agree. 
All right, moving on to our next game as I have to readjust the headphones, which are giving me a horrible, horrible case of cauliflower here, which I'm sure all you wrestlers can sort of empathize with. Illinois in the Stinky Bowl travels to Purdue, Illinois, 11 and a half point underdogs. Give me Burt's boys. Can't pick against Purdue. Purdue, every game, they it seems they win it's between five and 10 points. And for some reason, whenever Illinois has branded Peters, they play markedly improved football. Like they still never win, but they also don't get run off the field. So this is a horrible game. Like the big 10 West this year is just one giant, but I'm going to think, I don't think Illinois wins this game, but I think they cover. No folks, that was not an audio sound effect. That was actually Nathan Stearns making that noise. (laughs) That was exactly what was in my head too. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Purdue wins Illinois covers though. I think this is a game Purdue should cover, but uh, it's the big 10 West and let's get freaky. I love, I just love how I'm writing whenever, like when I have to put your initials, just BS over and over again. It's awesome. Yeah. um, I'll follow you guys on this one. If it was Illinois minus 11, I would definitely take Purdue because I do think Purdue is going to win this game, but I think Illinois will cover because I don't know that Purdue is going to beat them by two touchdowns. Jake Plummer, yeah! Rock and roll! I'm going to switch up and take Purdue here. Um, They're coming off a, a game that was a decent battle until the fourth quarter against Notre Dame, and they're at home. Uh... I don't know. I got a feeling about this. All right. We move on to our Pac-12 game of the week. Arizona. I just realized I spelled that wrong. 27-point underdogs going to Oregon. Over to you, Brendan Chabath. I don't like you for putting this one in here for such a massive spread that we have to pick against. I haven't – I've only seen Oregon play this year, and I've seen two plays, and they were – highlights against Ohio State. And I haven't seen Arizona play quite obviously because they're a pretty horrible football team. So give me the Ducks jerseys. Give me the Ducks plus the spread. Zach, over to you. Yeah, um, Oregon covers this game. Arizona State might, or Arizona, excuse me, not Arizona State. Arizona might be the worst football team in the country. I mean, Arizona just got dominated by Northern Arizona in their last game. Arizona has dropped 15 straight games. I'm taking the Ducks by a bajillion. And yes, freezing cold takes will at this when inevitably Arizona wins this football game. Three for three going on the Oregon hype train. CJ Verdell and Anthony Brown are going to have whoever's at Arizona right now. I don't know. I just know that the stench of Rich Rod, they've not been able to get out of their own laundry ever since they got rid of him. Um, He's still got the stench at Michigan too. Yeah, no, that is very, very true than the stench of Brady Hogue and the stench of Don Brown and the stench of everything else. Arizona's what Rutgers was is a power five team for a very long period of time. I feel bad that my friend, Bryce Walmall, who I played football with, who's been starting there at tight end for three years, has to undergo this. Um, Yeah, give me Oregon and give me Oregon walking away. You all basically said it. I'm taking Oregon as well. You are so unoriginal. I hope you realize that. Like Man, you're took, short and concise, Why are but you just roasting champion the entire butt today. <laughs> he, 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 he took Purdue in the spread. He is because it's like at least that, that was champion. a very 
Courageous move on my part, I think, taking Purdue. Yeah, yes, that's, it a, was. that's a ballsy so, one. I like Stearns, it. I like it. We're all ganging up on Stearns now because he has just been you know, roasting I was Jay. there to vouch for you at the airport when you were trying to get your chili without soy. <laughs> <laughs> It was so, milk, you son of a... Whatever, he was, he was ready to extract to. the milk for you. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Take me to the cow that you put the milk in in the dang chili. Uh, Final game of the week that we're going to predict. MSU only four-point favorites at home versus Nebraska at the Woodshed. Seven o'clock, Brendan Shabath and Zach Serdnick on the call. My granddad's turning 80, so got to go... Uh, Got to go to that party in Taylor, and I won't be able to make it back in time. So I'll start. Give me Michigan State. If it was a 10-point line, I would take Nebraska. As I said, ugly game. I don't think it's going to be a route. I think this is maybe the first game all year where Michigan State only wins by a single-digit margin. But here's the good thing with this four-point line. You can play like complete crap for 50 minutes and still cover this. Like, you can have 10 minutes of good football and 50 minutes of just playing Wah, 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 and you'll still cover this. This line is so small. I think Michigan State covers here. I don't think they do it by a lot, but I think they went out right, and I do think they cover. I'm taking Michigan State as well, and actually I think, I think opposed to what a lot of other people are saying, I think they're going to win soundly. Um, but four, minus four, I don't know. I, I think that's a little narrow. I think, I think that line is vastly different if Nebraska doesn't lose by a touchdown down in Ormond last week. I think it's probably like Stern said closer to 10, you know, if if that game is more like what people expected. Yeah, I am definitely taking Michigan State. Um I think that they can cover this pretty pretty soundly. I think they win this game by double digits. Do I think they win this game by 30? No. But do I think they can win this game by 10 to 14? Yeah. I see. I, I, I'm also pack the woodshed, stripe the stadium, take Michigan State. Uh, yeah, four is not enough. Um, I see this as a 27-17 win for Michigan State. Uh, I think they come away. Ten points is probably close for, for a half, maybe two and a half quarters. And then kind of like in that Miami game, Michigan State turns it up a notch and, and starts to pull away towards the end. I see Spartans by ten. All right, boys. We got anything else? Pleasure to be a, here. We got a sports meeting. We got... Lots of other fun stuff this week, next week, and every week. Hopefully, Michigan State. Like, it's hard for me as a broadcaster and as a journalist because I know I'm not supposed to say we, and I know I'm not supposed to say, like, I want this to happen. But at the end of the day, if they get to seven wins, we're spending somewhere on New Year's warm. Like, nothing would make me happier than going to Allegiant and just spending four days in the hot Mojave Desert. Like, you remember that Family Guy episode where, like, they're in El Paso and they're on the cement and, like, Peter gets burned and it's like... We can make scalding asphalt angels, second degree birds, first degree fun. Like that—that's that, kind of what I'm thinking. Like would be the. That's the episode title. I didn't have Stearns' Family Guy reference on my bingo card. Yeah, that is the episode, episode title: second degree burns, first degree fun. So at the end of the day, um, we'll see. It's another chance for Michigan State to get one step closer to that magical threshold of six wins it's another step in a conference game to improve to 2-0 in the conference and continue to cement yourself in the wide open big 10 east as always thank you guys for tuning in for special guest brendan shabath the all american boy zach Serdnick, the quiet mystical beautiful smart aiden champion is oh, that a little bit better yeah beautiful was a nice touch and yeah. then the lo- 
And then the the fatty McLoudmouth Nathan Stearns have a nice day. And thank you guys for tuning into this episode of SRZ on Impact 89 FM WDBM East Lansing.